Is That Really in the Bible presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. Okay, I'd like to welcome uh, everyone in the CD program to services here and at the Church of God Rocky Mount. The title, if you want a title, is Understanding God. Understanding God. Which, by the way, can be a difficult task if you haven't figured that one out yet. <laughs> Romans 11, verse 22. I want, to, I want to turn there and look at this scripture. Romans 11, and verse 22. It says, Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. You may, you may want to underline that little statement. The goodness, and that's something that we all want to hear about, and the severity of God. On them which fail severity, but towards thee goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you shall also shall be cut off. Another translation, you know, I sometimes when I pull up a scripture, I'll, I'll go through and look at about eight or ten different translations, and I'll, I'll try to find the one that gives the, the, the punch I'm wanting, you know. And here it is, and I, I forget what translation this is. Forgive me about that. I didn't write it down, but it says this, the qualities of gentle kindness and ruthless severity that exists side by side in God. Now get that. The qualities of gentle kindness and ruthless severity that exists side by side in God. What I believe that's been presented to us for generations is a one-sided God. A one-sided God. You know, from a child, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me. So I'm not knocking, that's a beautiful song. And to understand, you know, about the goodness, the gentleness, the kindness, the mercy, the grace of God, that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. But the problem is, nobody wants to hear about the ruthless severity of God. I don't want to hear about it. I mean, I get upset when I hear about it. I, we've been reading about it, uh, me and Teresa, in a Bible study we've been doing, and, and uh, I don't like it when I come across it. I mean, I, I, I get sort of tensed up and, and, and start feeling a little bit of anxiety in my life, and, and I can understand no one wants to hear about that. So there may be a reason why we've, we've heard for generations of a one-sided God. Now, we've been doing... a, a well, it's not a Bible study, but it's a daily reading. And like most daily readings, you know, you got the Old Testament and the New Testament and the Psalms and Proverbs, whatever. But as we've been going through there, man, I, I mean, the, the, the brutalness of God, the, the severity, the forcefulness, the seriousness of God, of story after story after story. And, uh, you know, I think of, of Moses that was not allowed to enter the promised land. And I'm thinking, you know, I, I got to feeling sorry for Moses. I mean, Moses was a servant of the Lord. He talked to God, and it was like a one-on-one -on -one friendship relationship that he had. And, and Moses intervened for the children of Israel over and over again. If, had it not been for Moses... God would have wiped out the children of Israel over and over again. He was like a nursing father and you know, pleading for these people. And, and yet, because of one word, Moses was not allowed to enter 
the promised land. He didn't give God the glory. Shall we fetch you water out of this rock? If he had just said, shall God fetch you water out of this rock? We or God? He chose we. He didn't give God the credit. And God said, you're not entering the promised land. And Moses pleaded with God toward the end of his life. You know, let me, you know, I guess I'm using, after all I've done for you, let me go over into the promised land. <laughs> God said, you're not going. You're not going. I'll let you see it from a distance, but you're not going. And uh, Uzzah, who, who, at whatever reason, I don't know if the staves or the, the poles weren't in the Ark of the Covenant right, or, but it's like a, just a reaction that you see. All of a sudden, the Ark of the Covenant starts to tilt, and uh, you know, like a natural reaction, you just reach up, up there to steady it. God struck him dead. Struck him dead. You know, and, and in my mind, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I'm thinking, why? You know, I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to grasp. I'm trying to understand. God and the severity of God. The high priest, I was reading about the high priest that served in the temple, and I think they rotated. They had to rotate uh, in the temple, but, but certain, when they were in the temple, they were not allowed to leave the temple. If their parents died while serving in the temple, because they couldn't touch a dead body, they could not go to the funeral. And you know, I'm reading this, I'm thinking, can't, I can't go to my own parents' funeral? Now, hopefully they didn't die when that rotation, they were in rotation, but whatever. But, uh, and I can't tell you, and I probably shouldn't not admit this, but, you know, honesty is a virtue. You know, it really is. And I've always tried to be brutally honest with God and, and with you, but I probably shouldn't admit this. But I, I can't tell you how many times in our Bible study, me and Tracy, we've looked at each other and we'll say, did you get that? No, I didn't get it. Did you get it? No, I didn't get it at all. You know, I probably shouldn't say that as a minister, should I? You know? You know, why is this guy leading this? You know? <laughs> but uh, again and again and again, and, and I don't get this. And you know, here was the thing, at least, and I forget when I was ordained as a minister, it was way too young. Uh, well, what was it? Twenty-six, maybe. I, I forget my age, but it was like Ron Dart said. He said, "The older he got, the more he upped the age for the ministry." You know, you know, he got up to ninety. Well, a minister should be ninety before he's ordained into ministry. But I, I'm sure I was way too young. But when you're young, you think you know God, and you think you got something to share, and you think you. you, you you know God from what you've learned, from what society has told you, what your religion has told what your family what your, have, has told you, what religious organizations have told you. And, and that's, that's, you know, you think you know God. But as you get older, you get to a point, and, and this is growth, this is spiritual growth. You get to a point where you say, okay, forget about that. What do I believe about God? And that's a huge transition when you start to make that transition and you say, okay, I know everything I've been told and all that, but what do I myself in my personal relationship believe about God? What do I know about God? And it's, I think that's a time for great you know, spiritual growth. Conquering the, the promised land. Conquering the promised land. Oh, boy. 
Oh my goodness. You know, the promised land was occupied. And it was occupied evidently by people that I don't know what they were like, but God, you know, uh, walls of Jericho, Ai, the king, the city, go in there, wipe them out, men, women, children, animal, cattle, pile their bodies up, burn them. Again and again and again, as they went into that promised land that was already occupied, wipe them out, kill them all. And thank God for our theology that we understand there is a second resurrection. Because if I didn't understand that beautiful understanding, and I thought, well, okay, God got angry at them, and he killed them, and then right now they're burning for all eternity in hell forever, and will be for the rest of their life. I don't know what kind of relationship I would have with God. I don't know if I would have a relationship with God. You know, thank God for our theology that we understand that there is a second resurrection for these people. And so I understand, believe me, when people come along and say, well, well, I don't like this harsh father God that I read in the Old Testament. But, uh, you know, Jesus in the New Testament, you know, mercy, grace, kindness, you know, all of that. That's the God that I like. I understand why people make that erroneous conclusion, you know, the distinction. Because the impression that I get is that, that, that God didn't work through flawed human instruments. He just killed them. Uh, that, that's sort of the impression that I get when I'm reading through the Old Testament. And, and even in the New Testament, there is a misrepresent, the misrepresentation of Jesus Christ. There's only one side that often people look, look at. Statements like Luke 12 and verse 51. Suppose ye that I have come to give peace on earth? I tell you nay, but rather division. Boy, that's hard to wrap your mind around right there. You know, Christmas season comes along, you know, peace on earth, goodwill toward man is all about peace, peace, peace. Christ comes along and says, look, I didn't come to give peace on earth. Nay, but division. And in our little... Uh, Bible study we've been going through. I just it was something that I got Teresa to copy down for me. I'll read it to you because it encouraged me. Christ told his disciples that he did not come to bring peace but division. This is not exactly a heartwarming concept, but it can certainly be encouraging for you if you are facing opposition simply because you align yourself with Christ. Christ promised that where he was and where he was proclaimed there would be resistance. Sometimes facing opposition for the sake of Christ is a sign that you are doing exactly what you should be doing and following faithfully in his steps of Jesus who went before you. Man, that's pretty powerful. That was encouraging for me. So as I mentioned, you know, as I sometimes hear people say in, in the area of mainstream churchianity, you know, that old harsh father God, I don't want anything to do with that Old Testament God, but, but Jesus, the Son, you know, I, the mercy, grace, and kind. And now the problem for us is that we don't have that option to make that distinction, uh, to separate the two because of Christ's identity. We do not have this option to say, oh, harsh Father God and, and Jesus in and the new. We don't have that option because of who Christ said he was. Okay? Who did Christ say he was? 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 1. 
Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant of who Christ is, okay, and who he was, and who he said he was, okay? How that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea. That's 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 1. And were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all, and all did eat of that same spiritual meat. And did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. What's your Bible telling you? It's telling you that, that God... The Son that we knew, know as who became Jesus Christ is the God that dealt with these Israelites. And uh, two members of the God family, Father and Son, let us create man in our image. Which one of us is going to go down there and die for their sins? Powerful thought. Jesus said, I'll, I'll, I'll volunteer. I'll volunteer to go down there. All of the I am statements that Jesus made. Before Abraham, I was, I am. Which nearly got him killed because of what he, what he was saying. Before Abraham, I existed, is what he was saying. And that statement, they wanted to take him out and kill him right then. Colossians 1 and verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities or power, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Powerful statement. And so what I'm saying is the instrument the Father used to create, the instrument the Father used to create to give the law, to deal with the children of Israel, that rock that guided them was Jesus Christ. So like I said, we don't have the option of to separate the two. So I want to bring the two parts of God together in this message. The goodness of God and the severity of God. Now, I want to digress a little bit and explain something about Jesus Christ becoming flesh and blood. And how important that was for us. Since God had never been flesh and blood before, were there things he learned by becoming God in the flesh? Were there things that, of course, you know. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews 5 and verse 8. Hebrews 5 and verse 8. Now I'm going through this fairly quickly, but I know I'm not giving you the time enough to turn to these, but we're recording these messages and People do not like lag time, where you're just sitting up there, you know, just looking around. They, they, they want to hurry up and, and they want to get this, you know. Your, your mind is able to, to comprehend words a lot quicker than, than you can speak them. So, uh, at least that's what I've been told. Okay, Hebrews 5 and verse 8. There, though he were a son, yet learned, you want to underline that word, learn he obedience by the things which he suffered. Christ in the flesh, God in the flesh, learned obedience by the things he said. And being made perfect. Wrap your mind around that one. He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Being made, all right, two things. He learned and being made perfect. Well, what did Christ learn? God in the flesh. You know, he learned what it's like to suffer. You know what it's like to suffer, don't you? Suffer pain. He learned what it was like to feel pain. 
He learned mental, what it was like to experience mental anguish. You know, in the garden, his, his, his blood was as great drops. He sweated great, as if great drops of blood or was great drops. I don't know what it was. But anyway, that's mental anguish right there. Something he had never experienced before. Loneliness. Rejection. You ever been rejected? You know, we, we don't want you around here. You know, we don't need your service. We don't want you. You know, go away. And unless you experience that, how could you ever help others? If you've never experienced rejection, how in the world could you ever help someone else who has gone through rejection? You can't. Confusion. Questioning the Father. You ever question God? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we, we, we question God from time to time. We question God. And Hebrews 4 and verse 15 says, for, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings or emotions of our infirmity, but was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. Let us therefore, because of this, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace. That is when we screw up that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I am so, you know, I am so grateful. Obviously, I'm grateful. You know, we've just gone through the Passover service and, we, I mean, and unleavened bread. I'm grateful for Christ's sacrifice. I'm grateful for his, his, his death, burial, and resurrection. I'm grateful, for, I'm grateful for a lot of things. But what I'm really grateful is that he experienced, you know, in the flesh, what it was like to be human, you know, frailty and weakness. What that was like for me. Because when we go, so it's no wonder we can clearly see the two sides of God in the Old and New Testament. We can see those two sides. And that Christ has an understanding that he didn't really have before. That he didn't really have before. So what is the benefit of the ruthless, what I call ruthless severity. Ruthless severity. What is the benefit of ruthless severity? You know, someone said that more people have come down to the altar from a threat of hell than ever the promise of heaven. You know, promise of heaven is, is a great thing. You know, you got all the you know, gentle kindness and all that and stuff. But this ought to tell us something that more people have come down to the altar from a threat of hell than ever the promise of heaven. What is it about that threat? What's it has to do with the severity of God? You know, there are some times we need to be jerked up by our bootstraps and said, look, the direction that you are going is not the right direction. You keep going down this direction, you're going to totally screw your life up. We need that from time to time. And I'm, I'm afraid that because a lot of times we only have that one side of God or understanding of God, you know, we, we just don't, we don't often give people this. We need it in order to get us to change. It's there, that severity is there to give us the motivation to change. You know, they say there's two, two ways that people are motivated to change. You know, you can come up to a person and say, look, I'll give you a pay raise and they'll, boom, they'll get to work. Other way to get them to change is say, I'm gonna, I'm, I, you're going to get it fired if you don't get your act together. All right, that's the severity part. All right, we work both the same way. We work both the same way. 
excuse me, I'm recording this, and I need to, need to finish it up. Uh, ruthless severity comes, sometimes it comes from the mouths of babes. Get this. Stephen, my nephew, he was out in the yard, didn't have his shirt on, he had shorts on. And his, I don't know if it was his niece or what, but his, his five, she's five-year-old. She said, what is that? She says, why does your belly stick out? Why is your belly sticking out? And Stephen said, because I'm fat. Because I'm fat. You know, out of the mouths of babes. You know. Now, on the other hand, you know, we, we sort of live, you know, you know, as we get old. You ever wonder why, why God, Jesus said, unless you become like little children, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God? You ever thought about it, it might have to do with their brutal honesty? You know, now I know as we get older, we think, well, I got to be tactful. You know, we see someone, you know, that are 400 pounds overweight. Oh, you dear child, you got a glandular problem. Well, it could be because they're eating too much is, is the reason they're fat. You know, that could be the reason. But, you know, we, get, we, 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 we go through our lives pretending not to see what we see, not to hear what we hear, not to feel what we feel. And we think we're, we're doing God's will by doing that. You know, I just, I just, I didn't see that. You know, I'm not going to say anything. <clears throat> a powerful prayer might be this God I know all about your goodness and mercy but I'm a bit hard headed and I, if I need some ruthless severity I ask that you give that to me coupled with God's your grace and mercy because I need to change I need to change is there ever a time when we need to exhibit Severity. I didn't say ruthless severity. I just said severity. Is there every time that we need to, to exhibit that? You know, well, what about tough love? You've heard of tough love before. You ever heard of an intervention where they take people who maybe are alcoholics or are on drugs and they say, look, you're not going to help yourself, so we're going to take you to a place where you can get help. That's tough love. That's severity right there. Parents disciplining their children. Show my people their sins. There's another powerful statement. You know, show my people their sins. Ezekiel 2 and verse 7. And thou shalt speak my words unto them, whether they will hear or whether they will bear, for they are a most rebellious people. This is a take it or leave it message. This is not to get people to be converted. This is show my people their sins, whether they listen or don't listen. It's not about getting them, you know, to come down to the altar or anything. They need to hear the message of repentance. They need to hear the message of repentance and what they need to do. Could we become so hard-hearted as a nation that we will not hear? I think a large portion of our nation is already there. Or they have their religion and they don't care to hear. You know. Jeremiah 9 and verse 23. Jeremiah 9 and verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. There is a wisdom of man when it comes to knowing God. And we're told not to lean to our own understanding. There is a one-sided wisdom that we have been handed down for generations about God. That one side is the goodness, gentleness, kindness, grace, mercy of God, void of judgment and ruthless severity. We haven't heard that, that other part so much. 
Let's continue on to read that. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glory glories in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord which exercises loving kindness, judgment, don't miss that, and righteousness, don't miss that, in the earth, for these things I delight, says the Lord. You know, it was Ron Dart that mentioned that there was a woman that was so upset about how that God destroyed the, um, the Egyptians' firstborn. Regardless of their age, whether they were newborn babes or, or elderly, 90 years old, God went in there and just destroyed them. And what he said was that God would, you know, what God did is he, he, that, the, he, that, the, that the Egyptians had destroyed the Hebrews and thrown them, baby boys, and thrown them into the Nile River. That God, if God didn't do anything, he would not be a just God if he just sat on his hands and did nothing. That ought to scare the H-E-L-L out of us because we've aborted 50 million what, abortions. And if we think God is just going to sit on his hands and do nothing, we are, we're playing church and we're kidding ourselves. Because God is a just God. In order for God to be a just God, he has to move in these areas. Hebrews 10 and verse 30. For we know him that has said, vengeance belongs unto me. I will recompense, says the Lord. And again, the Lord shall smite, shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. How many people in our nation have a proper fear of God? You ask the question, how could they? Again, we're dealing with what one's theology has taught them all their entire lives. You cannot have the proper fear of God worshiping a one-sided God. Just looking at goodness, gentleness, grace, mercy, void of judgment and ruthless severity. So what I want you to get in closing from this message, we must worship a God in his wholeness. It's not a one-sided God. It's a two-sided God. And as I read, told you about our Bible study, me and my wife, I found myself getting upset reading some of these stories in the Old Testament, troubled by these stories. And, you know, we must learn to respect the ruthless severity and the judgment of God. Knowing that there is a second resurrection, we must allow that ruthless, that severity and judgment to create in us a proper respect and fear for God. And we must be grateful, so grateful, that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, our Savior, learn what human frailty and weakness was like. And he did all that for us. If you would like more information or if you have any questions, write to Is That Really in the Bible? 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia 24151. Or visit us on the web at Is That Really in the Bible.net. For more information, check us out online at Is That Really in the Bible.net. Listen to the podcast, watch the weekly program, 
worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service. And be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is isthatreallyinthebible.net.